Would you imagine this with me for a moment? We're in Tanzania and you picture a Tanzanian man standing on a street corner and he's telling the gathered crowd the good news of Jesus. Uh, And in this culture, this man is known to everyone as an evangelist. Uh, And wonderfully, a number of the listeners, they hear the message Uh, They accept it and they put their trust in Jesus. They hand their lives over to Jesus. The guy they called an evangelist in this culture, they now call him a pastor. A new local church community has been established. A church has been, you could say, evangelised into existence. God has brought these people from that street corner to himself and to each other. Uh, And they begin meeting together to encourage each other in this newly found uh, faith. They have shared values. They believe in an almighty creator God who made them to live in in loving relationship with him. Uh, But, you know, they turned aside from him. But God's plan was always to send his son that, that they could be reconciled to him. They have these shared values. God's word is their authority. And they read it together. They pray together. And they urge each other on. Let's keep on growing in Jesus. But the relationships can be tricky, can't they? How should this new community get on with each other? Matthew 18, it's a wonderful chapter where Jesus outlines for us something of what life in God's community is to be like. It's the local community of believers. And so you picture the early disciples, they've begun to follow Jesus. And they're only beginning to understand what that looks like. They're gathered together uh, as you do. And and it seems, uh, from verse 5 of chapter 18, we're beginning before where Bindi read for us, they're having a go at establishing some sort of pecking order. Who's the greatest? How are we going to organise this thing? We need some sort of hierarchy, uh, do we not? And so who's the boss? Well, I was the oldest in my family, someone's thinking. And so I should run this show. I'm the greatest says another. I'm obviously the most intelligent here. No, I'm the greatest. My life experience trumps all of yours. They ask Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, with that little child, some sort of object lesson, isn't it? And this is a culture, the the child comes in and it's a culture where the kids are overlooked and undervalued perhaps, not like our culture where they're ferried around with every other opportunity. But the kid, no rights, no authority, small, needy, weak, insignificant. And Jesus says in verse 3 and 4, truly I tell you, unless you change or be converted and become like little children, you'll never even get a gig in the kingdom of heaven. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he says, those who take the lowly position of this child, that person is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? Well, it's a way of saying, stop with the puffed up self-importance. Who's the greatest in this room? 
and recognise that each one is small and needy, that you are small and needy. It's the way into the community, says Jesus. It's the way of greatness within the community. In this newly gathered community, self-importance is not the way, but humility. And you notice if your Bible's there from verse 6 and 7, that there's also to be a self-awareness. We love that in our culture now, don't we? Self-aware, are you? Take a look, verse 6. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be thrown down into the depths of the sea. Those who trust in Jesus in this new community, we're to be aware of the impact that we have on each other. Self-aware. We wouldn't want to cause another to stumble, would we? Nor do we want to stumble ourselves. And Jesus uses that vivid and extreme language of of cutting away that which causes us to stumble. It's there in verse 8. If your hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. Your foot, you throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And so there's to be in this newly gathered community a cutting away of sin. This community is not to treat sin lightly. There must, there must not be a who cares whatever kind of an attitude towards our sin. And so this community, humble, self-aware, we impact those around us, seeking a, a removal of our own sin, knowing the destruction it causes. Yet also we see verse 10 to 14, if your Bible's there, when a professing believer wanders off, One of those little ones, our desire for them is restoration. And the temptation for the gathered community might be, well, let's forget about them. They're living in sin. They're not worshipping Jesus, but some other thing. Well, let's just forget about them. But you see what Jesus says in verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. And he tells that wonderful parable about the farmer going after the lost sheep. And in verse 14 he says, In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And so there's this desire within the community that the wanderer turn away from their sin and come back into the fold. And it's not to be a heartless judgmentalism, but a loving desire for restoration, for reconciliation. The community, whether it's that street corner in Tanzania, the Middle East some 2,000 years ago, or Bagara, this community, together, wants to grow up in Christ. Tanzania, on that street corner, they heard the message. God brought them to himself and to each other, brothers and sisters. But how should they get along with each other? It's not always easy. Humble, self-aware. We don't want to cause others to stumble, nor do we, nor do we want to stumble ourselves. We cut away sin, a desire to bring the wanderer back in. 
restored to God and the community. And it's in this context that we get to the bit where Bindi was reading from, where what is known as church discipline takes place. But really what it looks like is just healthy relationships. Jesus gives us a three-step process that hopefully ends at step one. You see verse 15, it's step one. If your brother or sister sins against you, what do you do? Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. You might notice there's a change of language from little ones to brothers and sisters. A fellow believer, a fellow little one is the person that is on view. A fellow little one sins against you, what do you do? Well, you don't put it on the Facebook. You don't allude to it on the Facebook. It's not shared with others, but it's kept quiet just between the two. And we go to them. The same go as go and make disciples in Matthew chapter 28 that comes later. We go to them, whoever's done the damage. Go. And not with a text message or an email, but face to face. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? Face to face, when you did this, when you said that, I felt, I've noticed that, I've noticed this about you, it really concerns me. Can you clarify what's, what's going on? And at times, it, this may not be appropriate if there's a significant power imbalance, it, it, it may not be safe. But generally, it may just be a misunderstanding or repentance and forgiveness might be necessary. Uh, sometimes we, we talk uh, about, uh, as a local church, we talk about messy often, messy small. Uh, the idea that we have these kinds of relationships regularly. A, a small thing that doesn't get talked about, as you know, can become a big thing. And, and over time you end up with a big mess. Uh, we should have some awareness of our temperament as well. Uh, if you're a heavy hitter, so to speak, someone who's pretty quick to be willing to point out the errors of others, uh, you may need to hold yourself back a little. Uh, and of course, the other is true. Don't let it fester. And this is all within the context of relationship, isn't it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, committed to each other, accountable to each other, and wanting to grow up together in Jesus. You know, we don't have a long history as a local church. And as the pastor of this church, sometimes I worry about what mess the future might hold through me. Because my sin impacts you. Um, I, um, I, have, I have the privilege, if you call it that, of looking in on some older congregations uh, over the last number of years uh, with problems. And, and it seems that this kind of thing... Uh, it's often where problems come from, conversations that just haven't happened when they should have. People talking with everyone except for the person that they should talk to. And over the years, small things become big things. 
And sadly, that means a community that in some way bears the name of Jesus does nothing really but point people away from Jesus. There's an old story, I love it, about a pastor who is trying to defend himself against criticism. He said, there's a story going around that I told my wife not to go to a certain church that has these wild meetings. They say my wife went anyway. And I dragged her out by the hair and injured her so badly she had to go to hospital. First of all, let's clear things up. I never told her to stay away from that church. Second, I didn't drag her out by the hair. Third, she never had to go to hospital. And lastly, I've never been married, so I don't have a wife. It can get like that, can't it? Uh, the truth can be so easily lost. Step one, go to the person. Face to face. It's kept quiet, honest speech. Stay away from the email. Words can come across really harsh in written form. We all know that. There may be more than one meeting. It's not a ticking off of the box. I've done that step. Now I can move to step two. No, we're taking the relationship seriously. We're not to despise a fellow little one. I don't know, can you imagine yourself in a coffee shop and you're just having a chat with a friend, you know, and all of a sudden you think, hang on a second, I shouldn't be telling this person that I need to go and have a coffee with someone else. I don't talk to Wendy about James, I go to James. It's got to be true of all of our relationships, doesn't it? the marriage relationship. We talk to the person we need to talk to and not everyone else. I know I'm sort of, maybe I'm overstating the obvious, but it's funny, we need to hear this, I reckon at least, I don't know, every second year, maybe. And it should stop there at step one, but Jesus says step two, verse 16, but if they won't listen, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of of the two or three witnesses. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 19. Now, is it that they didn't listen to me? Uh, They may listen to me more if I take some friends along, a a ganging up, uh, an an application of pressure like what might happen in the schoolyard. Uh, No. It's a making sure of the facts, a safeguard for both sides. And in verse 17, Jesus says, step three, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And we've got a really sad situation here, don't we? If it gets to step three... The person on view is someone who says they trust and follow Jesus. Yes, Jesus is my Lord and and Saviour. I'm committed and accountable to this local community, this church family. But having been given many, many opportunities, they remain unrepentant. There's a lacking of, what was it, humility, the little one. There's no self-awareness as to how they impact others. There isn't a willingness to to cut away sin. There's a wandering away. And Jesus says, well, then you treat them as a 
a, a pagan or a tax collector. That is um, someone who doesn't trust and believe Jesus. Now, we've been reading Matthew's Gospel, and so we think, well, wasn't Jesus a friend of, of the tax collector and sinner? And of course, he, he was. This is not a cutting off of relationship, but a, a reorientation of it. I don't see you as a fellow little one anymore, a fellow brother or sister gathered together in Christ, but as someone who doesn't yet trust in him. And so the prayerful hope is, is restoration. And the process may be very slow. The, the desire is that no one is cut off, but that we all might be growing up together in Jesus. In verse 18, Jesus he gives us something of the gravity of this, doesn't he? Uh, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So as the local church appropriately follows this process, what's happening visibly here. Yes, you are one of God's children. No, you mustn't be. It's really happening in that spiritual sense within God's kingdom, says Jesus. And Christians love to quote verse 20 at a prayer meeting for where two or three are gathered there. There he is with us. When hardly any people rock up, we say, oh, well, where two or three are gathered, hey? Yeah, that's why we say it, because no one came. But the context is not the prayer meeting. You know, the standard prayer meeting, I hope we're praying in this situation. And I put it to you that when we're gathered dealing with conflict like this, quietly just the two, face to face, or more if the process is continued, what a great comfort the presence of God is. Look at verse, I'll read verse 19 and 20. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. If we're serious about it, the relational stuff is really difficult because it involves my sin as well as yours. And so Peter says to Jesus in verse 21, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And with a lot of words and a fancy parable, Jesus says, keep at it. Keep doing it. Keep forgiving. For our forgiveness of each other is to be entirely shaped by the much, much greater forgiveness we first receive through Jesus. Relationships can be tricky. How should this new community get along? A community of people who are humble, self-aware, eager for our own sin to be cut out, not willing for any to be lost, Forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. That's the context for us to go to each other when we've been wronged. 
Now, I remember um, we've done Matthew 18 at youth group a couple of times now, I I reckon. Um, And we say to the teenagers, you know, adults don't know how to do this, so it's good to learn it now. I mean, it's obvious stuff, isn't it? And one of our teenagers says, looks at the others and says, I need you guys to keep me accountable. Speaking to fellow little ones, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're not to be controlling, we should watch out for that. But lovingly urging each other to grow up in this wonderful life that we share in Christ. And we do it together as we remember the wonder of our sin forgiven through God himself. How about we pray? Uh, Great God, um, we want to thank you for the way that you even instruct us how to do healthy relationships. And Lord, we pray that we would be a community gathered to you together that is humble, Uh, that we would see ourselves and each other as fellow little ones, Uh, that we would be self-aware and have a concern about how we impact each other. Lord, we thank you that we can impact each other for good. And we pray, Lord, that we would be eager to do that. Lord, help us to take sin seriously. And help us care about the one that wanders off. Lord, we thank you that it's not your desire uh, for any to wander away. And we thank you that Jesus says he will keep all his sheep safe. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us care well for each other and respond well when a fellow little one comes and says, when you said this or when you did that. Lord, give us confidence to restrain ourselves when we need to and give us confidence to go and speak and have the hard conversation when we need to as well. Lord, we thank you so much that you forgave the greatest debt, that you sent your son into the world, that we might be clean, forgiven, renewed. And we pray that out of this forgiveness, we would be forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.